Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we'll start in verse 7 and read down to verse 10. Grass with us and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 7. <clears throat> Go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might for there is no work or thought, or knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray you'll take this passage by your Holy Spirit, apply it to our hearts. I pray for every sinner that is dead in sin and without hope in this world, that you would call them by grace and love, that you call them to faith in Christ. Pray for every Christian here and watching online that you would strengthen our souls, that you would make us believers that walk with confidence and, and trust you. And Lord, I pray that you bring healing today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the fall of 1991, I took my very first Greek class at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. The class was run by a man named Professor Dr. Lacoste Munn. He was an older man, Dr. Munn. That, that class got the name Fun with Munn. And I can tell you, studying Greek, it was anything but fun. One day in class, Dr. Munn came in and he did not want to talk about conjugating verbs in Greek. He didn't care about the declensions. He wanted to talk to us young men that wanted to be in ministry. I was 23 at the time. They were desiring to be in ministry and wanted to preach and lead and do all of those great things in ministry. He wanted to talk about life and death as a Christian. More importantly, he wanted to talk about the sobering joy of considering your own mortality. That you are going to die. Not a fun thing to think about, but something that he said that day stuck with me ever since then up to this very moment. Dr. Munn said, until you come to grips with your own mortality, you cannot actually live freely as a Christian. Many of you know this firsthand. Death is here. Death needs to be talked about, it needs to be dealt with, it needs to be considered, death needs to be observed, and death needs to be rightly integrated into how you and I actually view life. I think that's what the preacher is doing right here in chapter 9. Get to chapter 9. Chapter 9 is the beginning of the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. You get chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12, and we'll be done. The first eight chapters we've been going through for the last few months. The first eight chapters, the preacher, or Solomon, who was an old man when he wrote this, Solomon is giving us his worldview of life under the sun, life here on earth. 
And now in chapter 9, he says, all right, I'm done giving you information. Now in chapter 9, he starts spelling out the conclusions and life lessons that he has along the way. Now, remember who this is. King Solomon, as a young man, wrote the Song of Solomon. As a middle-aged man, wrote the book of Proverbs. Now as an old man, writing Ecclesiastes. King Solomon, the richest man in the world at the time. Think about his, think about his vast holdings. Think about the, the number of women. Think about all of his servants. Think about his gold. Think about his wisdom. Think about the buildings. Think about all of his stuff. And he gets to old age with every bit of that stuff and we find out that it's empty. And now here's Solomon, Solomon as an old man. It's, it's as if he comes and sits down beside us and says, I want to give you some advice. What, what did John Piper say? Don't waste your life pursuing things that don't ultimately matter. That you will find meaning and you will find purpose and you will find direction. You will find what it means to be happy. When you start enjoying this life God gave you to the glory of God and for His name's sake. That's what you were made for. I mean, even the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's what you were made for, for the glory of God. And the only right way for you to honor God is to respond to the good gifts that God has given you and to enjoy them in the name of Jesus. So here's what I want to do today. For the next few minutes, I want to take these verses, 7, 8, 9, and 10. It's just four verses. I want to take these four verses... And I don't want to persuade you. I want to convince you that God has created you for his glory. And you actually glorify God when you take joy in this world that God has given you. Now, this passage is short, but it is uh, for the very first time we're seeing commands. So the commands start showing up. Commands from God to not waste your life. So let's get at it. What I want you to see is this life, this life right now, this life is all that you have. So let's make it count. This is what you have. Let's make it count. Let's get right to it. Let me show you something very quickly. Here's the first point. We'll make it short. Number one, don't waste a day. Don't waste a day. You get to verse 7, you see the very first command. It shows up with that one word in verse 7. I'll just have you look at one word. It's that word, go. Or it could be translated, come. But, but either way, in Hebrew, it brings with it the force of a command. Now, remember what the preacher's been doing. You've been reading Ecclesiastes all of these months. And all along, the preacher has been encouraging us to enjoy life, to enjoy life to the glory of God. But now in this little book... As we get close to the end and he's, he's kind of winding up his advice, he now is telling us what to do. And he's saying to you this morning, 
You need to embrace what is good in life before it is too late. It's almost like he's saying, man, you need to pull yourself together. Or he might say it like this. You need to stop complaining. You need to stop worrying. You need to stop being angry about things that you can't control. You can't change. You need to stop carrying around that bitterness against someone that has hurt you. You need to stop brooding about your problems. And as Christians, this is what we do. We take these issues and, and, and these anxieties and these fears and we take them to the cross of Jesus and we crucify them there. So, so get your fears and get over your fears. And let's go. Let me ask you. Let me ask you just on this. What, I mean, what are you afraid of? What is it that's holding you back? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of pain? Are you afraid you're going to make a mistake? Are you afraid you're going to do something wrong? Remember what Paul told Timothy when he, that young man, he had no clue what to do when he's pastoring a church and, and 1 Timothy, and then 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul told Timothy, get a hold of yourself, man. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. When the pastor at the church in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written to a church, and it's like a sermon, and it's written to a church that is beleaguered and is, is persecuted. And the writer of Hebrews, he, he writes to this beleaguered church to provide some encouragement. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. So let's think of the theory and put it into action. Do so with some questions. You can answer them to yourself. What do you need to do? Like you've, you've got some good theology devotionally. You're walking with the Lord. You, but how, what do you need to do that you've been afraid to do? What do you need to repent of? I mean, there's some sin in your life. You, you just haven't dealt with it. What do you need, as a Christian, what do you need to repent of? What do you know that is a wrong that you have the power to actually make right? What do you need to make right? Who do you need to call? There's got to be somebody that, who do you need to call and, and provide some reconciliation? Do you need to move? Maybe you need to move. Or if you're watching online, maybe you need to move back. Do you know that, you know the word procrastination you know that procrastination is the enemy of Christian maturity and is the thief of Christian joy. Procrastinate. What are you putting off? Procrastination is the enemy of Christian maturity and it is the thief of Christian joy. And, and for some of you that are maybe watching online or even here that you've been sort of playing Christian, you're, you're maybe even baptized, but there's not any fruit in your life that gives evidence of the fact that you're walking with the Lord. So truthfully, you're probably not a Christian or maybe you're just not a Christian. You're in, the, you're in the most danger. Because in John chapter 3, Jesus said it, and Paul said it in Romans chapter 1 and 2, that you not only are waiting on condemnation one day when you go to hell, the way Paul said it and the way Jesus said it is we, 
Without Christ, you actually right this very moment are living under the condemnation of God. But it doesn't have to be like that. The, the gospel is, remember, it's good news that God is holy. That man is a sinner separated from God, dead in sin. The gospel is that God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. And the promise of the gospel is that every sinner that turns from her sin or his sin and believes, to put your faith in Jesus, believes that, the Bible teaches that you'll be saved. Look, th this life is all that you have. So we need to make it count. Don't, don't waste a day. But let me press on this a little bit further. Let's keep looking at verse 7. There's something else not to waste there in verse 7. Number 2 don't waste a meal, a meal. Let me show you where I get that. Don't waste a meal. You're going to think about this in a few minutes when you go off to lunch. Don't waste a meal. You see it in verse 7? Now, be, be clear. <clears throat> I didn't say don't miss a meal. Some of us, it wouldn't hurt to miss a meal or two here and there. What I said was don't waste a meal. Look what the preacher says in verse 7. Go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. I mean, that, just that command in itself, really it's two commands brought together, and you can feel the great fellowship around the table as the, the food is good and the wine is tasty. Now, this is Solomon writing. Now, Solomon was not a Baptist. <laughs> Solomon uh, had all that money and drinking wine. He was probably a Presbyterian. He wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> but you get the feeling, right, that there's this, en this enjoyment of, of, of eating and savoring the moment. This is the very opposite of gulping down your food so that you can get on to the next thing you got to do. This, that's usually, that's actually my sin. I was reading this, I thought, you know what, I'm not very good at, at savoring here. You take verse 7, if you wanted to have the book of Ecclesiastes in one verse, the book of Ecclesiastes in one verse is chapter 9, verse 7. Which made me think about the Gospels. How do we, how do we make a Gospel connection here? Well, one of the commentators that spoke about this talked about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that when you read this, the narratives of Jesus, it's as if he is eating his way through the Gospels. First, I was offended by that, but then I started thinking about it. There's so many scenes in the Bible, in the Gospels, of Jesus sitting down and eating with, with friends, with disciples, with sinners, with tax collectors. In fact, he did it so much. By Matthew chapter 11, they were calling him a, a glutton and a drunk. Why? Because he didn't waste a meal. To, to receive the simple act of sitting down, do it today, you should do it today. Sitting down, to receive that simple act of sitting down and eating with someone as a gift. Think of the Lord Jesus when the crowds wouldn't disperse after they had heard the Sermon on the Mount, feeding the 5,000. Think about his very first Miracle, turning water into wine. 
Think about the, um, the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then and Jesus taught them, our Father who are, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then comes the first petition, give us this day our daily bread. Think about it, for 2,000 years, there have been two ordinances in, in the Christian church for 2,000 years, baptism as the front door, how you join the church, and then the Lord's Supper as the first privilege as a member of the church, the Lord's Supper, where Jesus said, this is the bread in my body. Do this in remembrance of me, the cross. Remember the cross. This, this cup is the, the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the cross. Do you know that every time we eat and drink, there is, this, there is this faint refrain of remembering Jesus dying on the cross for sinners, to save sinners. I mean, this very book that I preach from ends in Revelation chapter 19 with the marriage supper of the Lamb. See what the preacher's done here? He's pulled us way back. He slowed us down to show us that every single part of our lives is saturated and besotted with an awareness, with a reminder that God is here, that, that He is good, that, that Jesus saves sinners at the cross. And if, if you are a sinner here today, if you're listening or watching online, you're a sinner within the sound of my voice, what you're hearing is actually good news, that God has spared you up to this very moment You've now heard the gospel. God is holy, man's a sinner. Jesus saved by, by faith on the cross. If you will ask God to save you on the merits of Jesus, if you will ask God to save you, he will do just that. The Bible teaches that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look, this life is all, this life is all that you have so Let's make the most of it. Don't waste a day. Don't waste a meal. Let's press verse 7 a little further. I would add to that. Here's a third point. Don't waste grace. Ours is a religion of grace. Let me show you where I get that. In verse 7, there's a little bit of an enigmatic phrase at the end of verse 7. You'll see it. Let me read it to you. Go and eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. What does that mean? Well, Solomon could be looking back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God created all things and every bit of it was good, all of that which man and woman would eat. Or he could be thinking about, maybe he's thinking about how, how God is pleased when we actually enjoy His good provision in our lives? One commentator seemed to think that this, this really is sort of an Old Testament aroma of justification. That is to say that our religion, let's talk about Christianity a moment. We don't live our religion so that God will ultimately save us. That is a works-based religion. That's every other religion except Christianity. We actually live for Christ because He has already saved us. We don't live hoping to gain grace from God. When we are converted from being dead in sin to alive in Christ, we live from grace that God has given us. Now, 
With that distinction in mind, we think of God not as an oppressor, but as a sustainer. We think of God not as a slayer, but as a giver. We think of God as the one who gives us grace. The great passage for grace is is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's wonderful for you to memorize that. But after that passage of grace, Paul says something really strong to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says something happens when you're saved. There's this, this, this plan put out in front of you. So hear what he says in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Paul writes, For we, we Christians, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, these are not random good. For good works which God has prepared beforehand so that your life, that we might walk in them. And, and the approval of God only happens by grace. How does God approve you? It's when Jesus takes your sin at the cross and you receive his righteousness. So that you can only be approved and fully covenanted, fully loved by God when you are in Christ. God's approval for you is completely and only found when you are in Christ. When by faith you have come to Jesus, you've come to the cross and believed. When you're saved, what happens is he takes your sin, you receive his righteousness. You can have that. You can have that today. In fact, while I'm preaching, you can ask God to save you by grace through faith in Jesus. You can say, God, please save me based on what, what Jesus has done for me at the cross. You see, this life is all that, this life is all that we have. You need to make it count. Don't, don't waste a day. Don't waste a meal. Don't waste grace. I'd like to add a, a fourth one. I'll, I won't spend much time there. But it's in verse 8. It's a strange little verse, but let's talk about it. Here's the fourth point. Don't waste leisure. Leisure. Don't waste, or you might say it like this, don't waste luxury. Leisure and luxury. I don't want to spend too much time here, but at least let's, let's call your attention to verse 8. Here's what the preacher says. Let your garments be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Now, what does that mean? Well, a couple of things, a couple of ways to look at this. One is that God has not called us to a life of monasticism or being ascetics, that is putting off any kind of luxury. He hasn't called us to do that. I'm reading, um, I'm reading a Christian history right now. It's called 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's in the bookstore. I didn't tell Amy. I know that aggravates you when I do this, but I'm just reading through it. It's really good. And uh, one of the, I'm not going very fast through them to the fourth century. And one of the things that's going on in Christianity in the fourth century is monasticism has come up and monks going out into the desert in Egypt um, to be spiritual. They go out there and give up everything and try to make life as hard as possible. And if it's not hard enough living in the desert, then there was one in particular that decided to live on top of a 40-foot pole in the desert. Get up on the pole and sit there. He did that for 40 years. People go out in the desert and look at him and say, look how spiritual he is up on the pole. That's sort of what he did. I don't think God is calling us to do that sort of thing, to, 
to live lives that are deprived of his good gifts and somehow to, to prove the spiritual depth. Now, you certainly can go overboard with luxury and leisure. I think you can, you, you can make that an idol. But I think it, in Christ, there's a sense in which um, God has given us good gifts to enjoy to the glory of his name at whatever, whatever level of luxury or leisure. So let's say you can go on vacation for a week. It is a good thing to go and be refreshed. Or you can have some, some slight luxury that someone gives. It's a good thing that God has given you for your refreshment. I get that from the fact that this is a desert region and to be dressed in white would reflect the sun and take away some of the heat to have oil on your skin and head would, would be refreshing. Some of those things that God gives us, they are simply there to actually make us glad and be grateful to God for his refreshing hand. Let's not waste that. Let me give you something else to consider. We just sort of trotted by verse 8. Let's land in verse 9. Here's the fifth thing not to waste. Number five, <clears throat> don't waste love, love. Verse 9. Now, you might read it and say, uh, don't waste marriage. That's probably a better way of saying it, but I try to broaden that a little bit. When you read verse 9, um, the, read the whole thing, you read it and you find out uh, that you've got this vein or vanishing life under the sun that God has given you. Listen to the words in verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain, that is vanishing, uh, not lasting life that, that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil which you toil under the sun. So you don't have long to live. You're going to die soon. You need to enjoy life with your wife. That's sort of what the preacher is saying. So, if you right now are married, or you one day hope to be married, verse 9, Ecclesiastes 9, 9, is a sanctifying passage. Don't downplay Ecclesiastes 9, 9. You read verse 9, you realize that as a husband or wife, you are to cherish and and protect and value and invest in and, and, and love and empower and honor and respect and, and enjoy and, and help flourish the person that God has given you as a spouse in this short life that you have. Because according to Ephesians 5, and this is what Christians believe, According to Ephesians 5, marriage is so much more than romance. Marriage, your marriage is actually supposed to be a picture of the gospel. Go read it sometime. And I think of how many marriages are wasted. Three things waste marriages. All of them start with S. So many marriages are wasted by sin. Just plain, just all out sin. Two sinners come together, there's going to be trouble. And if Jesus is not Lord, there's going to be extra trouble. Sin. Things we do wrong, say wrong, think wrong, are wrong. Sin. Not just sin, but selfishness. Selfishness ruins a marriage when, when what happens is your attitude is, okay, well, what, I mean, what about me? What am I getting out of this? Sin and selfishness when 
the attention comes off of you giving yourself, go read Ephesians 5, to wondering what you're getting, sin and selfishness. And then the third S word is stubbornness. Stubbornness. When I say that, what I mean is not that you're just hard-headed, but refusing to humble yourself before God and your spouse and to seek forgiveness, to seek the actual flourishing of your spouse. I mean, how many gospel opportunities are lost or wasted because love was wasted? So let me ask you a question. Probably a good time to ask this. It's good to apply it like this. What do you need to what do you need to repent of, either to God or to your spouse? What do you need to repent of? What, um, or turn, turn it around, what forgiveness do you need to extend? Here's another selfish. What, what flourishing in your spouse, what flourishing do you need to foster in your spouse? You see, this life is all that you have. This is all we have. You need to make it count. You don't want to waste a day. You don't want to waste a meal. You don't want to waste God's grace. You don't want to waste even the leisure. You certainly don't want to waste love. I'll give you one last one. Number six. Don't waste an opportunity. Don't waste an opportunity that God has put before you. Let me read verse 10. Take it to heart now. Whatever your hand finds to do, verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Think about the warning. For there is no work, there is no thought, there is no knowledge, there is no wisdom in the grave, in Sheol, in the grave, which, by the way, that's where you're going. What does the preacher say? He say, you're going to die soon. If you have a chance to do something, you need to do it now. Who knows what the future holds? Who knows what's, what's a year, two years, five years down the road? He's, he's put us, in verse 10, he's put us down in this valley of the shadow of death. Do you hear all that death talk in verse 10? There's no knowledge, no wisdom, no work. There's nothing in the grave. So what, and, by the way, you're going there pretty soon. We're living in the valley of the shadow of death. Right? Death is always looming. No work, no thought, no knowledge, no wisdom, and death. In the valley of the shadow, we sang it even. Olivier's led us singing that. You know that psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, he restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And let's go to King James. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. This life is all there is. You need to make it count. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes and listen. Listen. This is all you have is now. Some of you have heard this gospel message and for the first time it's resonated in your soul. You need to pray right now, just where you are. Pray and ask God to save you from your sin on the merits of Jesus at the cross. Say, just say, God, save me from my sin based on what Jesus has done on the cross. 
There are others of you here this morning, your prayer needs to be, God, forgive, forgive my hesitation. What are you afraid of? God, forgive my hesitation and help me. Give me faith to do the next right thing. And maybe yours is just, brother or sister, it, it's time now. You need to take the next step. You're not going to live forever. You need to live this life to honor God. Take the next step. Thank you, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your spirit that strengthens us. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus. I pray you call sinners to salvation. I pray you call saints to walk with Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand as we sing.